Um, I'm going to read. There's a, there are a few verses here, but I have been asked just to read Genesis um, 3, starting at verse 1, and then the Romans passage. So, so start at 3, verse, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then Romans 8, starting at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good morning. Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, we had a good time at the men's retreat. And um, I thought it was well put together and well run. And um, I even went to small group time. And instead of coming up with an excuse that I was feeling bad or something, or I need to work on something for the church more important than small group. But it was a good time. And um, I guess some of our men on the way back or not on the way back or sleeping in or hiking or something. I don't know where they are, but all of them. But we had a good time. And um, for those who came back, I know it was hard. I'm glad to see you here this morning. And um, it was just a good time. We sang and everything. It was a good time. Uh, some people went to sleep. Some people couldn't sleep because there were people snoring in the room, Pastor Giorgio. And um, what was it, Mike? You know, it was both of y'all? Tag team. And one left the room, so half the people got to sleep. Did you punch his bed when he was sleeping, when he was snoring? So you punched him to stop him from snoring, and then when he left, you became the snorer. That's the way sin works, isn't it? You're going to point out somebody else's mess. And um, this is our last sermon in um, this On Being Human sermon series. And um, then uh, we'll start one on um, about God, now that we talk about ourselves. As we continue in this sermon series, the question before us is, have you ever been sucker punched? been hit by the unexpected in an unexpected place. I have. Once in college, I was hanging out with some folks, most of whom I wanted to be cool with and get in with. Plenty of nice-looking girls on that day. I remember. I was feeling cool. So I said this joke that wasn't too funny. Imagine that. And the one person I thought was my friend, another wannabe, slapped me in the back of my neck and said, shut up, that was stupid. And it wasn't a fight back kind of hit that I could retaliate. It was one of those shame kind of hits, and the place broke out laughing. My face was on the ground. I wanted to hide. I was shame. No need to fight. Damage was done. I had no cool points left. And these folks, like a lot of folk, would remember it for days. Some still do, I'm sure. Sucker punch where you want to fight back, but it doesn't make sense, or you can't because you're too bent over with pain and shame. Being human is like living in a world filled with sucker punches, right? Where all your attempts at anything, happiness, joy, fulfillment, taste, peace, pleasure, relationship, survival, come with a below-the-waist hit and end to it, a suffering, a twist, an emptiness, a not-rightness, a sadness, a cosmic sucker punch that you can't protect yourself from. Over the last weeks, we have talked about God's call on and then his redeeming of our humanity and being creative and relationships and our care for the natural world. And as good and human as those things may make you feel, none of these things in and of themselves bring us ultimate fulfillment. None of those things in and of themselves will, will keep or restore our humanity. None of those things come without a sucker punch. 
How do we deal with that? Keep going, keep growing, keep being human as we've learned about in this sermon series. If we look back at the Genesis story, verse 32 in chapter 1 says this. I'm sorry, there's no verse 32. Do you have a verse 32 in chapter 1? No. It's actually verse 31. I tried to add a verse to the Bible. That's a no-no. Um, and, God, and verse 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Good. We, we were created to be Good with everything. A, a good definition for good is cool. Everything was cool. Everything was copacetic. The, the original man and woman got along with everything, including each other. There was no such thing as wor- the word fight and struggle and pain and try again. It was all good. We had enough and we're content with how we looked and how we lived and what we were called to be. No one had job burnout. I wondered whether being a garden worker was the right calling for them. There was no midlife crisis. A mirror was always a good thing and never a bad thing. Shame was not there at all. You were good and down for whatever. Ice Cube just touched the surface when he said, today was a good day when you mess around and get a triple-double. But every day was and would be a good day because every day would click the way it was supposed to, which, crazy enough, would have been exactly what you were fine with as it happened. Never a day you would not agree with. Weather-wise or accomplishment-wise or, or place-wise, life had no aftertaste or, or afterburn and, and never wasted us. And we could never be said to be wasting it. We were satisfied or created to be satisfied with, with what we had to eat, where we lived, how we lived with each other. Adam and Eve didn't have e-harmony. They had the harmony, right? A definitely perfect relationship. They were good and thus holy because they were good with and getting along with and in real bliss with how God had made them to be and everything to be. And being good with everything is what it means to be holy. Good with how God has made it. And in that holiness to always be moving forward, to be growing, to be progressing as human beings. Look what God says to them in verse 28. And God blessed them, the man and the woman, the male and female, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We've talked about this throughout the sermon series. Humans were never created to just stay in that garden state, that particular one, but to make the garden themselves and the life of the garden spread, to be fruitful. Well, God created humans to one day back then. He created us to be the Steve Jobs. We're giving a shout out to Steve Jobs this week. To be scientific and develop technologies and advanced ways of thinking and art and music and be creative and explore the height and depth of relationships. So listen to NPR the other day, other day and they had this physicist guy who wrote, wrote a book on and who believed that there is little or nothing human beings could not do that the natural law would not stop them from doing. He believed that the universe one day will and can be endlessly explored and used. 
and that the only thing stopping us is technology, which takes experimentation, time, money, and thought. I, in part, sort of agree with him in this way. If God was telling man and woman then to go to do the earth, if he had in mind universal universal exploration of living on other planets, then it could and would have been done by us. We were supposed to be where we were, our technology, not by our good idea, but because of the holiness God gave humanity when he created them. Science would have been a friend of God and God a friend and God of it. God called for scientific method. He tells Adam to name the animals and interact with the earth according to how he, the man, experienced and saw it. That was okay since the man was satisfied with who he was and was satisfied with his limitations and lived with joy in his abilities because technology and access to it was a function of his created holiness. Men and women were created with this incredible capacity. Not only to have holy relationship, tripping up, not only to have holy relationship with each other and the world and themselves, but with God himself, right? From what we see in chapter 3. And then the way we heard God speak to the man and woman in chapters 1 and 2, God and human beings were like this. Right? They, They had a properly good relationship. God was God. And they were human. And they were fine with that in the beginning. God was completely a reality that not only could be trusted, but was their sense of trust. A God who was not only true, but was the truth for them. God was not just in relationship with them. They were only relative as human beings and only made sense to themselves because God was with them. There was no other choice at this point. They were good with God. God was good with them. They had a holy relationship. He could be found. He was all up on them and around them. There there was a pure and simple and freeing connection between God and humanity. God was a statement of their humanity and never a question of it. The Lord was the living divine fabric and never a fabrication. And, and we'll talk about that more next week. But, but Adam, when it came to spiritual things, did not live in a physical and spiritual dichotomy where it was a reach or fantasy to live with and, and have a God that was possibly invisible or unsearchable because he was there and talked to them and they heard his voice, obviously. And the Bible, hear this now, the Bible does not tell us that they, the human beings, knew everything there was to know about God. And that was not a bad thing. That they, they didn't have this exhaustive knowledge of God. And God here, we don't, see, we don't see God completely letting them know everything about himself and why he did this and how he did this. And that was good and fine for them. That was the kind of relationship they had, a holy one with God. But... As we read just a minute ago, they screwed it up and listened to the devil and took from, ironically, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one God then told them not to eat from, and sin entered the world and turned good into not so good. Holiness into dehumanizing evil and relationship with God, hardly possible. And instead of us being good with everything, now we live disappointed with and by everything. We saw this scripture last week when we talked about our interaction with nature, verses 15 through 17, where God says, you know, it's going to be hard to live here. 
Every attempt at humanity, every attempt at your work or your job or your relationships, it's going to be hard. Now everything comes with a fight and a frustration. And because with the eating of the tree and knowledge of good and evil, we now have our own ideas of what is good and bad for ourselves. We don't always like the way God has set up things and made things and how we are made and how we look. And nothing is ever easy or true or without fault. Everything good has some bad to it. We are irritated with the sun, and we're irritated with the rain, and we're irritated with the weather. And, we, and like we saw last week, nature can be a real pain to us, not helping us out. It's hard to get food and, we do, and, 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 and work to work well enough. Now, 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 everything we do has an eventual aftertaste. And nothing good seems to last. So we approach our potential friendships and neighbors and ourselves and, you know, having the other pastor come this morning in other churches with fear. Guard it and wait for the thing to fall apart for the sucker punch because it's coming. We live believing it's only a matter of time before the bubble burst or the other shoe drops, or for the person we marry to show their true colors. In premarital counseling, we prepare you for it. Oh, y'all guys, you guys love each other, but just wait. The true colors will come out. And just because you work hard or are a nice person and do your best, things don't always work out. Nice people get treated badly too. Nice people have not-so-happy endings too. And so we are never and can never be satisfied with anything. The passage from Romans you have before you, it talks about frustration in the verses before the verses you have of just being human here. And you know, if you're living kind of with this bliss, oh, I'm just happy, everything's good, we, we all get cynical, rightly so. And laugh at you because all know that ain't that, that, that things that's not going to last. You know, people in sitcoms who are happy are the clueless ones, right? Homer Simpson and Cole from Martin is happy, and that's because they're idiots, right? No one is really completely happy and so not completely happy for the right reasons. Or without in some way hurting someone else in their happiness. Doesn't it stink that all the good tasting stuff makes us fat and closes our arteries up and addicts us and rots our teeth? I feel that way. After last week's sermon, I must repent. I had a box of Bojangles chicken on the way to Atlanta on Monday. I was so hungry. I just wanted some fat calories or something that tastes good. That thing felt good. Then later, real bad. And who knows what it did to me long term. My doctor always asked, Pastor Brown, I know. You got the Bojangles chicken, didn't you? Like, yes. And you ate the biscuit too, didn't you? (laughs) I tried. There have been times I've closed the box up. And my hand goes in a little closed slit and just tries to take one piece. But when you take nine little pieces, the whole thing's gone. Sometimes I leave this much just to say I didn't eat it all. It tasted so good. Wish I could say some other words. It tasted so good. You know, and then on the way back, I tried to do better. I got the spinach wrap chicken thing. Man, that thing couldn't touch the Bojangles chicken. And those salty seasoned fries and fulfillment. But it wouldn't kill me, right? 
It tasted bad, but it'll keep me alive. Why is it like that? On a more serious note, why do 50% of marriages start with hope and joy and end in divorce? And an even higher percentage live and stay in unhappiness because of the frustration. Why is it the same things that you love in a person you end up hating too? The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible says, man, all is vanity down here. And there is another word for vanity that's more popular. It's all baloney. It's both not, right? Nothing on earth can truly make us happy. And yet knowing that we will keep trying or at least spend our lives medicating ourselves, dulling our senses of frustration with what will slowly take us out, but still no dice, still no real satisfaction. And if that isn't bad enough, we, are, we have to deal with living in a, lar- in a world largely digressive. What's God basically telling Adam in verses 15 through 17? You're going to live, it's going to be hard, and then you're going to die. That's the bad news from God. We got some good news coming. It's not all the news. How about that? And the road to death will be lined with digress and progress. Steve Jobs couldn't develop or lead the technology to not die at 56 years old. Why? All those great products. Man, you and I can do anything. The apps for life don't exist. When it's your time to go. And then the smartest people making weapons and Ponzi schemes and technology, and like we learned about last week with food and, and technology that has actually used a whole groups of people back. That puts a whole new unfortunate thought in their minds that maybe we are not significant. Maybe my life the way it is is without without much accomplishment doesn't mean much. Maybe we, maybe I am nothing. Maybe I'm not as human as someone else, and maybe the person that I'm looking at is not as human as I am, considering their failures. Human beings are a joke. And so science comes with this backwards answer for how weak and fragile we are, that we could be more than some lucky mud. We are simply a result of an evolutionary anomaly that happened a long time ago. And in futility, some of you are just plain lazy. Just plain unmotivated. You have a so what, just smoke pot all day mentality about life. And if you don't smoke pot, you're a functional pothead. Just living on the intoxicating fumes of apathy and laziness. Living life like it is a bad joke. Laughing your way through without a care in the world for anything or anybody, much less yourself. Just living sort of stuck. And others have just decided to become machines, not humans. You put your humanity underground and just going through the mechanics of making money and routine of just being without a purposeful passion or ethic in your body. Where has your humanity and our humanity gone? And how have we lost it? Thus our holiness. We read this passage that Adam and Eve sitting there with the serpent talking to him. Realize that When we look at how all this stuff started, it didn't start as an attack against us as humans, but our relationship with God, a questioning of him and his holiness. And the way he made and set up things was the thing that led to the mess. Did God really say? Did you not know if God's really against you? Don't you know that? He's not really, it's 
just a questioning of, of the holy purposes of God and in that a question of the humanity. You know, you don't have to be human. You can actually be more human and more, you know, closer to God if you eat this stuff. And what he was saying and what the serpent was doing and tricking them is he was pulling them out of their humanity by pulling them out of their relationship with God. We went subhuman. Contrary to what was being told, not superhuman, subhuman. Because we were separated in relation with God, there are now all kinds of spiritual confusion. You know, sometimes I don't like, I told y'all this, I don't like people to know I'm a pastor. You go in places, hey, did you hear my brother about this new book they found? They found these scriptures in this, in this rock, you know, at the bottom of this cave somewhere, and it completely says the Bible's not right. Spiritual confusion. Which one's a cult? Which one, you know, it's in the political. Which one's a cult? Which one's not a cult? What do we mean by cult? And what's this one mean? And, and what, is the Book of Mormon right? And is, you know, the Jehovah Witness that knock on your door? And, and this church over here and that church over here? And it's just wrong thoughts and made up thinking and all kind of religions. It's, it's more apt to be confused and unsure and question of the God question the God of the Bible's holiness, his truth and validity and presence and personality is pres- presented because the whispers of the world are saying things like, if there was a God, this wouldn't be happening. And he would be clear to everyone. And there would be, be no suffering and you would not have experienced what you did. And he would, he would show up in giant miracles and he would make himself more available through the scientific method. And the Bible would be easy to understand and accept. And if there was a God, his own people wouldn't be so mean and unholy themselves and how they treat people. And, and God wouldn't appear to be so rejecting of my lifestyle and what I want to do for entertainment or, or who I decide to sleep with and, and how I feel most, most comfortable living my life and dealing with this messed up world that he whoever and however he is or isn't has left it we are now like adam and eve did back then running away and hiding our lives from god if he exists or or making him not exist so we cannot feel so ashamed but what are we really saying when we do that we are asking him to not be so much god and us to not be so human let us determine lord what makes you there or not there, holy and not holy, true and not true, hit your word and not your word? We are declaring our unholiness and our inhumanity. Let me tell you something. I, I hope you see it. Holiness is not Christian cultural morality. How you dress, whether you wear earrings or not, how long you dress is, whatever. So much more than that. It is so much wider and deeper than that. Holiness is being human. Getting back to being human. It's amazing to me that people say, I'm so human because I've gotten rid of all this religious, I've gotten rid of my Christianity. Oh, I just want to be human. Yet the world to humanity, real free, you know, touching the earth kind of stuff like people like to talk about it, and artistic and, and holistic and all those words that have been stolen from Christianity. Those, that is where you're going in holiness and in humanity. Health. Remember the good that we talked about 
in verse 1, I mean in chapter 1, verse 31, that we were created for an end that has been lost by sin. Well, something else is happening here in the Bible that promises to make the downward spiral become untrue. So no, the world is not good. But look at verse 28 in Romans. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, stop right there. So the world is not good. And we are not good at And we live in utter dissatisfaction, disappointment a lot. In fact, the long list of pain stuff in verse 35 and 38 of Romans will be a part of what it means to be human, regardless of whether you are a Christian or not. The only difference for believers is that all of those things have been swept together. All of the frustrating mess have been, has been swept together and reconfigured. All the pain and frustration and stuff that would seek to demean and take away your holiness, your humanity, will not be good, but work together for good for those who are called according to his, God's, purpose. I may have told you guys this story or illustration before. I don't know. It fits again. So just deal with it. I'm secure. We have a friend, Dr. Regina Perry, who's the curator and professor of folk art. She's good friends of ours. In her house, we visit in Richmond, Virginia, is an art gallery. And as being a folk art curator and professor, the story of her most interesting pieces are always about how what was not good or not usable and what she found on the side of the road, what stunk was reconditioned and recycled by the hands of an artist who became Redeemer. She had these interesting sculptures, gum sculptures, that this old lady in a nursing home made. All of these chewed out pieces of gum, no sugar because it doesn't stick when it's all still sweet. And for you gum chewers, we're talking about gum that has been Chew just for the nervous frustration, right? You just keep chewing so you don't grit your teeth, that's me, or bite your tongue or, or chew to get that bad taste of, uh, of breath out of your mouth or, or that bad taste period, or you chew just to get that last pit bit of sugar out. You know, you ever had a piece of gum, you're like, oh, I know there's some sugar left. There's some taste left in it. I've done it. If y'all haven't, I'm crazy. Okay. And you just, you know, a gum so worn out that there is no fun. You can't even blow a bubble out of bubblicious. And all these pieces were right. They were the perfect pieces, all found on the bottom of chairs and tables and on sidewalks were gathered and made into beautiful for the good, usable, and lovable. God in making all things work together for good is taking the chewed out disappointments of life. That no, the no longer satisfying lives, 
the, the frustrating, their toughness and tastelessness and, and what we have deemed disposable, all the sordid and sticky technologies and, and all the history and stuff worth only leaving behind and sticking under a table or under a chair and shaping a good out of it for his people and this world and, on, and in doing so shaping and calling for a new humanity out of the one we have into something beautiful and something holy. And so we are motivated. We are called to take and gather the disappointed and dissatisfying and unsatisfying and frustrations of life that we have chewed through that has lost its sweet and become foul and forgotten and no longer tastes, takes the bad taste of this world away, hidden again under the table or in the closet of our lives that, that we have lost touch with our marriages, our friendships, our jobs, our recreations, our, our desires, our sense of calling and worth and pleasure, our children, our parents, our pleasures, even all the abuse and abuses that have chewed through and blown up until there is no more for us in it or it for us. Stuff that we are tired of chewing and hope that it'll work. And we say, here, Lord, take this. Take my life. Take my humanity and make it good for your good. Make it work. Make it beautiful. Shape it holy again. Make us human again. Because I can only get trials and tribulations and nothing out of living it my way. Do you know what that relinquishing of washed out, never can get enough disappointing, dehumanizing life is called? Holiness. It's a task of looking to and trusting and hoping, believing God to make us human again. What does humanity look like now? Living in obedience. Not trying to chew it harder or hold life stronger. To stop trying to live this life on your own. Stop trying to fix your own disappointments and live above them or below them. But to say, here, Lord, restore my humanity as I believe and trust you. Show me how to live by the scripture. Speak life to my life in beauty and purpose and plan and dignity and worth. You know how it works. God sent Jesus. To not just see our dissatisfaction and distaste and distress and frustration. He actually became the ultimate human and experienced all of that. He took all we feel. He took the unholy ways we live and lived our lives. And he did something none of you in this room would do if you're above the age of 11. Jesus did something in dying on the cross that none of us would dare do. He took all that was stuck under the tables, on the sidewalks, on the bottom of shoes, in wrappers thrown in garbage cans. Your lives, like the chewed gums of a frustrated and lost humanity, and he re-chewed them himself. Filled with disease, distress, danger, 
dirt and sin. And he chewed them. So our lives can be reshaped and redeemed by God. I uh, was six when my grandmother died, my mother's mom. You know, she used to take care of me during the day when my mom went to work from a baby on. In fact, I went to first grade at um, Sacred Heart. Um, and after school, I'd go take the taxi cab and go back to her house. She died when I was six. It's 33 years ago. And yet I can almost remember it like yesterday. You know what's interesting as a six-year-old? I didn't really know who she was. I didn't know her life. I didn't exhaustively know my grandmother. I didn't know all the things she went through. I didn't know all the struggles she had being married at 14. I didn't know any of that stuff. But by what she showed me, I knew she loved me. Yeah, there's a frustration you feel in not knowing what God is doing with your life. You don't exhaustively know what he's doing and why he's doing it. But you can know this. Look with me at verse 38. For I am sure, he said sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, by what Jesus, God, by what Jesus did in taking on and aware of sins, sucker punch this fallen world and all of it's in our distress and disappointments, with what we and it didn't see coming. Love. Love for sinners. Love for the dissatisfied and disappointed in him, even much less their lives. Love for those who hated his and their created holiness. The love of God and Jesus Christ sucker punches all that takes or tries to take away our humanity and gives us a new hope and a new life in a new humanity. God and Jesus Christ is the sucker punch for our humanity.